All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this third day of March 2020. We do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And I do want to invite you to keep sending along any questions or comments. Whatever you have to say about our show, we like to hear from you. Send it to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show viable. Today's sponsors are Eli Gold Royalties, Great Bear Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Lion One Metals, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. I've titled today's show, Lennon Think, after a recent essay written by Dan Oliver, who will uh, be with me in the second half of today's show. Also joining me today will be uh, Quentin Henning. He'll be in, this, uh, in the second segment of today's show. And Michael Oliver uh, will be with me in just a moment, uh, a few minutes from now anyway. Uh, before we get further into this week's show, I have some things I want to share with the subscribers to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Over the past few days, we learned of my mother-in-law's passing, and on the 7th of March, our son Scott has promised to marry Sarah Rochelle. So over the past few days, our family has not only experienced the bitter sweets of life, but it has also required a great deal of time to take care of matters related to both of these extremely important events. As such, I will not be publishing my usual weekly newsletter, and because uh, of these demands on my time, I told my subscribers that I would pass along on this radio show a few of my more important thoughts regarding companies uh, that are followed as, and also promised that I would provide some, uh, some of my thoughts about the markets. Little did I know how chaotic they would be uh, by this time. But thankfully, as I just noted, Michael Oliver will be with us to talk about that. Uh, and he has uh, always his prescient ideas and, and uh, insights into what's going on. So I look forward in just a moment uh, to hear what Michael has to say right now. But uh, let me just pass along some of my thoughts about about four or five very important company news events that have taken place. First of all, Balmoral Resources has agreed to, to be taken over by Wallbridge Mining. And under the terms of this, of this transaction, all the issued and outstanding shares of Balmoral will be exchanged at a ratio of 0.71 of a Wallbridge common share for each Balmoral share. Well, this has allowed um, the stock to trade up by quite a bit uh, over the last few days. Well, actually, just on Monday and today, 
from uh, the disastrous Friday trade. Uh, and um, I've done quite well personally with this, so I'm planning and actually have sold my individual shares of Balmoral uh, and have taken the cash. And there are many places to employ it, as we'll be talking about uh, over the next number of weeks. Uh, the second item I'd like to mention is Palangio Resources announced on, uh, that its drill that it its drill intersected one and three quarters meters, grading 314 grams per ton gold at its Grenfell property near Kirkland Lake. Now I stopped by Palangio's booth at the Toronto PDAC show yesterday, and was given a quick review of that exploration program. And I think this little penny stock may well be on to something very worthwhile paying attention to. And I hope to comment more on this story very soon uh, in the next newsletter that I write, uh, probably a week from this Saturday. Gatling Exploration Inc.'s maiden drill program at Curvit Prospects has hit some good mineralization, 13 of 16 drill holes. Now, this is aside from its flagship larder project in Ontario, which I consider to be a relatively low-risk exploration story. And feel confident in believing that larder that the larder project will eventually um, host at least a, a, well probably a multi-million high-grade near-surface gold deposit. So I'm very optimistic about Gatling and and this new news that came this week that their secondary project they're also uh, having a great deal of success with. In the uh, second segment of today's show, Quentin Henning will be talking about the amazing progress that is being made with mechanical separation on the company's Edgina and Beaton's Creek projects in Australia. As it turns out, this exciting technology can get rid of not about 99% of gold-bearing rock on site. In other words, mine the, mine the material, run it through a separation, and return the waste rock right back into the mine site while generating very high concentration of gold nuggets. Uh, the next step will be to scale up with the field test, but if this works as it seems it should, the economics for Novo's vast gold reefs should be extraordinary, and you will hear more about the most uh, that uh, all of that separation technology uh, in the second segment of today's show. But on March 2nd, that's yesterday, Novo also announced that it has agreed to purchase a, a 15 million common shares of a private company called Newfound Gold Corp. That's a private company that has made what seems to be an extremely exciting gold discovery in Newfoundland. Now, hence the name of this company, Newfound Gold. Uh, Newfoundland, uh, Novo will own what amounts to 16% of this company, but of equal importance is the fact that Eric Sprott also will own about that amount, 16.79% of this company, and Rob McEwen is also an investor of some size. Now, Newfound is focused on exploring its wholly owned Queensway project, located near the town of Gander, central Newfoundland. Beyond anyone's expectation, the very first hole drilled was astonishingly successful. It graded 92.86 grams of gold per ton over 19 meters, including 285 grams per ton over 6 meters. And what's more, the estimated true width of this zone is uh, something around 13 meters. This is extraordinary. Of course, one hole does not make a mine, but to hit the very first hole with the grades like that is very, very unusual. Keep in mind that Novo also recently announced that it, along with Eric Sprott, have taken a large position in a company in Australia that Quentin Henning believes owns a look-alike gold discovery akin to the high-grade Fosterville project in which Quentin recognized 
the value that uh, actually eventually led Kirkland Lake to gain that project uh, and to really recognize the value there. Subsequently, Fosterville uh, really became the company maker for uh, Kirkland Lake. And just as an aside, I have heard via the grapevine that Eric Sprott's goal now is to find a second successful company like, uh, like Kirkland Lake. Is it any wonder then that uh, almost everything that Quentin Henning likes, uh, uh, Eric Sprott is also involved with? Well, I think not. I think it's no accident. And now for the benefit of my subscribers as well as the listeners of this show, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me. Uh, thanks for joining me, Michael. And I, I really have to ask you, um, what's going on in these markets? It's becoming increasingly volatile since you and I last spoke a couple of weeks ago. All kinds of good things. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> stock market has come into play and obviously, therefore, shattered certain expectations and flows of money and investor preferences. T-bonds continue to explode naturally, and gold is firm back to its highs. Uh, well, I say back to its highs uh, on a $50 basis. The high uh, uh, early in the month was 1650. We dropped back into the 1500s, back to 1650 today. Uh, the uh, also another factor that, that, frankly, our reports did anticipate a few weeks ago was the dollar index, which had uh, done some damage as of the December close by our work. Then it rallied, and. Um, in fact, it made a marginal new high for the recent rally, not the high high. The high high was back in a couple of years ago at 103.50. Got back up to the high 99s. In the last three weeks, it's dropped three full points. In fact, last about eight trading days, it's dropped three full points. Dollar index, I'm speaking of. Mm-hmm. The euro has surged and the yen has surged. Um, if you close the dollar index cash, which traded today under 97. If you close out the week anywhere in the low 97s, uh, you will blow a parallel price channel that even uh, is a, we're using price here now. Momentum is already in decrepit state. Uh-huh. The price channel goes all the way back to mid-2016. It's like a little tube that it's been contained in for more than a year and a half. The rise of the tube is marginal. It's been really like a 4%. Uh, range that the dollar index has been caught in. Same with the euro and the yen. They've been caught in very narrow ranges. How come the world is getting volatile in all areas, all all asset categories, except Mm -hmm. the major foreign exchange markets? Uh So it perplexed us a few weeks ago. We put out a report that said, this is not right. Something's going to happen here. And sure enough, it did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it was anticipation of the Fed uh, narrowing of the interest rate differences between the U.S. and Europe and so forth, which has now happened. Ten-year uh, notes are now below 1%. Fed has cut a half a point. They've fully joined in the, the their comrades over there in Europe and, and Japan. Uh, and this has hurt the dollar. But the dollar really could get hurt if you close out the week anywhere down around 97 cash on the dollar mm-hmm. index. It's just mm-hmm. the beginning of the downside. Mm-hmm. Now, Gold, as we know, has gone from the, the reaction lows in summer, fall of ni- uh, 2018. It's gone from the 1100s up to upper 1600s with no help from a weak dollar. Mm-hmm. The dollar suddenly now becomes weak because rates here are starting to careen and join the Europeans and the BOJ. Mm-hmm. Then that's a whole new wind at the back of gold. Yeah. And it's behaving that way. So yeah. all these cross currents are... Uh, Finally making good sense, mm-hmm. and I would not bet on the uh, Federal Reserve half-rate cut. They've, they've just fired both barrels today. 
They're out yeah. of the picture. You can write them off. Uh, they've done their thing. Trump can't yell at Powell anymore. <laughs> yeah. Powell can probably take a vacation, go play golf or whatever he does. He's already done it. And uh, the question now is, what's going to save the stock market? Yeah, that's a good question because here it is, Michael. It seems extraordinary to me with the, you know, with the rate cuts announced uh, the um, uh, by Powell today, that the equity market isn't getting any any back any wind at its back at all from it, is it? Well, they they priced it in yesterday probably, and uh, yeah. we yeah. ran a chart in a weekend report. And not that price comparisons always turn out that way, but in 1929 and 87, two of the most prominent crashes in the last hundred years, there were. They were virtual overlays of each other, and our action now is we regard it as even worse, pending to be worse than 29. But in 29 on the way down, there was what we called a rally that fooled the majority. And there was one day, this is prior to the crash, about a week prior to the crash, where you went down so big you would have thought that was the crash day. Mm -hmm. Enormous. It was like a day you'd never seen in your lifetime. But it Mm -hmm. came back that day and closed near the high. Well, like last Friday did. Okay, in the S&P. It was well off the Uh low. That one-day rally in 1929 was actually a 10% rally from low of the day to high of the day. Wow. The next two two trading days, the Dow went sideways. In fact, one of those days was a Saturday. They used to trade on Saturdays back then. So you had this huge 10% rally, and then it it went sideways, and then the crash occurred over the next three days. They took you yeah. off the page. Well, we just had a 9.7% rally, a rough calculation, from Friday's low to today's high, fully hmm. backed by a piece of news that everybody was expecting, maybe even more so, half percent cut, not a quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's yeah. see if the rally holds or if this is just another rally that fools the majority. Well, time will tell, but it, it really yeah. is uh, a time to own gold, I, th- I think, and and perhaps so. uh, commodities, too, sometime if the dollar keeps getting weaker, huh? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, That could be yeah. a factor there. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you so much for coming back on today, and uh, especially at this time. It's really good to hear to hear from you what you have to say because these are uh, it's certainly not you, – you, we're not watching paint dry anymore, as you used to say, uh, huh? and you ta- uh, that's one of your favorite expressions. That was right. uh, how you described the dollar market until now, but now we're about to see some changes, I guess, huh? Maybe some dramatic so. ones. Right. All right. All right. Well, thanks very much, Michael. And, Thank you. Uh, we'll look Thank to you, talk to you again in a couple of weeks. All right. All the best. Bye-bye. Oh, okay, folks. Well, uh, don't go away because Quentin Henning, Dr. Quentin Henning, will be with us to give us an update on Noble Resources. Some really astonishingly positive events taking place there uh, with that uh, mechanical separation of gold from the host rock. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. Today he is with me to give us an update on the amazing breakthrough mechanical separation technologies that look very promising for helping uh, novel resources overcome the challenges of assessing and mining the massive gold deposits, nuggety gold deposits, uh, that Novo has in Western Australia. The company had some very exciting news this morning, and I'm talking to you uh, on February the 27th. Uh, this is uh, pre-recording this because Quentin will not be available for the live show uh, coming up on March 3rd. Uh, but, you know, the market doesn't seem to be paying too much attention to it, but I think they would be well advised to pay a lot of attention to what's going on uh, because this really is looking like amazing technology that may render what looked to be a very, well, Quentin himself called it a very challenging, nuggety gold deposit, uh, deposits, I should say, because there's several of them over huge areas, uh, that, that might be very difficult, if not impossible to mine. But the separation technology that Quentin's going to tell us about is providing some really, really exciting uh, opportunities here for the company. So thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Thank you, Jay. You know, uh, this morning uh, you, you put out some news and uh, really interesting news. I don't know how much the people in the market are paying attention to. This is a day when equity markets are getting tanked. It's, it looks almost like 2008. It's really a bloodbath out there. Uh, but can you talk us talk to us a little bit about you? You, you did this. You did some tests both on your Edgina project and your Beaton's Creek project in Western Australia. And I believe you used a couple of different testing methods, uh, one for each, a different one for each project. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, those testing results, the, the methodology that was used for each project, uh, and then perhaps uh, talk about the results? Sure thing. Okay, so what's driving this, of course, is the fact that the mineralization, as you described, is uh, nuggety. It's, you know, it's comprised of gold nuggets scattered in through the matrix of the conglomerates or in the gravels at Edgina. We uh, have had two companies, uh, both, you know, focused on building machines that can sort, mechanically sort uh, rock particles, all right? And these machines use a variety of sensors. Uh, they also have, you know, different operating parameters and stuff that, uh, you know, processing ability and stuff that uh, it has to be taken into account. But these co- these two companies have competed uh, to see what you know, see what kind of results they could generate for our particular style of mineralization. So we did our test work with Steinert uh, late last year, early this year. Tamra uh, is the most recent test work we've done. We did two uh, tests with Tamra recently. One was with a machine kind of a, a standard uh, machine that they use for ore sorting purposes in uh, Sydney. Uh, it, the, the testing facility there is, is a very good facility. It has you know, capacity to run both samples like this. Um, the machine used x-ray transmission, uh, and it worked phenomenally well. Uh, we did both, like you said, Edgina and Beacons Creek. 
the edge of the material, we, we screen the material because when you're sorting, you don't want uh, a huge disparity in rock particle size. Everything that goes across the conveyor should be roughly, you know, around the same size or within, say, a one to three ratio of the same size because when it reaches the end of the conveyor, your blowers are tuned to that particular rock particle size. Okay. Okay, so you don't want uh, little pippy stuff and big pip, you know, big pieces and stuff all mixed together. You want uh, you want to have it screened and, and send these streams through the machine so that the the machine can uh, you know readily see the particle as well as flick it off at the end. Okay. Um, what we found is that the uh, the edge in the material, the two coarsest fractions, uh, we got us a hundred percent recovery of all the nuggets, every single nugget that was in that material came out at the end of the the machine into a very, very small mass, less than 1% of the mass. Yeah. We took the smaller fraction, uh, and we took that to Germany, and they used a second machine. It's a machine that they've been working on now for several months. Uh, it's a prototype machine, but it's basically a diamond sorter that's uh, retro, been retrofitted with the sensors needed to pick gold particles. Uh, many people know that diamond sorting has been around for a long time, say 20 or 30 years. Uh, gold, for various reasons, it has not uh, taken, you know, taken off like diamond sorting. But we are, we're the first. We're really in the, you know, the first company to do anything like this. And Tomra has gone out of their way to take this diamond sorting machine and retrofit it to, to, to sort gold, and it, it recovered once again 100 percent of the gold nuggets that were in the sample, which is absolutely remarkable. Hmm, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, so, okay, so so you, as I understand, you got two Tomer machines, one the standard one, and then for the fines, for the finer particles, um, the this uh, diamond, uh, like this machine that's created along the same technologies used to separate diamonds, find very, very small diamonds. Uh, then you would, I guess, would follow possibly follow up with the the two different Tomer machines. Is that what your thinking is now? That's right. Look, we're we're now looking at doing field tests. Uh, you know, our our initial field test probably at Edgina, uh, where this these machines work extremely well. Um, but look, the Beaton's Creek results are also very interesting. Okay, so let me let me describe those if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, at Beaton's Creek, the it's conglomerate material, so we have to crush the rock. It's actually rock. It's not loose gravel like edging. Uh-huh. And so the gold is in the, the rock particles. It's actually embedded in the rock. Right. Again, we screen the material and then uh, put it through these ore sorting machines, these mechanical sorters. Um, and w- effectively what they do is they can recognize, uh, and, and the other thing about Beaton's Creek, the gold's finer. Okay, It's finer grain than edging Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, the machine seems to be able to recognize rock particles that have bits of gold in it and preferentially, uh, you know, sort those out. Okay, so we, we up, upgrade the, the uh, grade of the material by reducing the mass. We, we basically remove a lot of the waste material and we were left with, you know, this wonderful... Uh, Upgraded, uh, uh, you know, concentrate. Concentrate, so, yeah. And and you know, I'll give you the number. So for the eighteen to fifty mil fraction, we knocked it down to forty-seven percent of the mass, so a little less than half the mass. Uh huh. 
recovered 94% of the gold. That's yeah. remarkable for just a machine that's sitting there, you know, picking rock. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, in the next fraction, uh, the, you know, 6 mil to 18 mil fraction, we knocked it down to about a third of the mass. Mm-hmm. And, and we recovered uh, something around a little over 80, 80%, I believe it was 82% of the gold. Again, a remarkable result. Then we did the, uh, the uh, zero mil to six mil fraction up in Germany, mm-hmm. awaiting the analyses from that. But we do already know that we reduced the mass dramatically. The, the mass was knocked down to a, a small fraction of what we started with. And once we get the analyses, we'll be able to say a little bit more about the recovery of gold. But, you know, Jay, just stop and think about this for a minute. Um, you know, we, we started out doing this work on the, our nuggety deposits simply because it, it, it just kind of fit, you know. And, they, and then these companies come in and they say, hey, let us work with you. Let's, let's try to figure out, you know, how we can optimize this, what, you know, what machines we can do, what processing abilities we can install in the machines. And all of a sudden, we have a processing scheme that that can work, likely work on all of our material. Okay, so not just Edgina, not just Beaton's Creek, Caratha, the whole lot, everything we have. Look, there's Virgin Creek, there's Con- Contact Creek, there's projects that we haven't even really dug into very far because, you know, because of the nuggety nature. You know, we kind of, we're trying to tackle these one by one in a sure. meaningful way. But uh, now we have uh, something that could really unlock things. Hmm. And uh, it's not just conglomerates, okay? Uh, there's a lot of deposits around this planet, many, many gold deposits. They're, they're, they tend to be nuggety, problematic. Some of them are low-grade even. Mm-hmm. But this technology will change the gold mining industry. Well, that's incredible. So, I mean, one of the issues here, one of the one of your newer, newest discoveries, is that you now have the technology you believe to separate the really fine material, more like the stuff that you see at Beaton's Creek, and that was something you were a little concerned about before. That's correct. So, uh, back in late 2018, you know, we did our first sorting tests, and they they went very well, but we had that smallest fraction, the, the say minus six mil fraction. So. Uh, six millimeters to put it in perspective is about a quarter inch so everything less than a quarter inch in size uh, you know w- which we call the fines we couldn't sort at the time it just wasn't a physical means to to put this material through machine and, and get it to sort but like I said Tamra and Steiner have both kind of bent over backwards to you know to make their machines capable of treating this stuff in the processing ability and so forth so that now we do it, and it's demonstrated by this test work. We can treat the minus six mil fraction. We can treat everything that goes through the pressure. Mm-hmm. So getting it to Beaton's Creek here where you're not, I mean, you were incredibly almost perfect uh, over at Edgina in, in getting rid of the mass, the non-gold-bearing mass, uh, not, as, not, as, uh, not as effective at Beaton's Creek as you explained because the gold is, is in the matrix, in the rock matrix, but uh, so what do you think the step will be at Beaton's Creek then? We have to grind it down more or what? Or how will that work? So, so at Beaton's Creek, the way we see this, uh, we're reducing the mass significantly, which is great. Yeah, sure. Now you have a product that you can, that, that uh, once you have to put it through, say, a, a conventional mill or gravity mill plus, you know, CIL or something like this, uh, you, you're going to make a lot more money. on. Like you're basically not having to process 
a huge volume of tonnage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't generate return. You're knocking down that tonnage right. and keeping most of the gold on the first you know, pass through sorting. Mm-hmm. Right? So that just reduces your processing costs dramatically. Sure. You know, it, it changes the economics of this thing hugely. And the, the impact of that, we don't even know yet. Like we're, we're just, you know, just getting these results, digesting this information. And the upside is, you know, fully, not quite yet fully crystallized. Well, as you say, I think you mentioned just a moment ago that you're probably going to start field tests, so probably on a larger scale. Is that, did I hear you right? In saying that? that, that's right. Now we we would like to do field tests. Probably start at Edgina. It's simpler uh, avenue for us to go. Um, we we have not decided on which company or which machines to use. Uh, part of the decision might be driven by availabilities and stuff like that. Uh, you know, and timing as well. But uh, we will uh, announce to the market, say, sometime in the next month, month and a half, once we've digested all the data that's come back. You know, and bear in mind, we're, we're still looking for this data from the minus six mil fraction. Right. Uh, so once we have all that data in hand, we evaluate everything and look around and see what machines are available. We do plan on deploying one of these for field testing this year. To scale up a little bit to see about the potential for a commercial potential. Correct. And um, when might we get those results? Do you have any timing in mind from uh, the Beaton's Creek results that you're still waiting? Yeah, look, I don't think it'll be too long. Uh, the material, like Rob just literally got back to Perth a couple of days ago with the, I, I think the concentrates came with him. Um, so I would say within the next couple of weeks, we should have the results and analyses from those uh, materials. And uh, if, if I can, it seems to me that you may be able to, uh, well, I guess this this will be answered with field tests. I mean, part of what, but the idea that you can get rid of so much of the non-gold bearing mass immediately, if you could, then put it right back into the mine site, possibly. That's right. Look, uh, you know, I'm looking at things like Karatha, for example. You know, you could potentially crush sort, uh, and then you have this immense amount of uh, crushed material. Maybe maybe you sell that. I mean, there's a lot of demand for aggregate. Uh-huh. You know, look at the railroad lines. They need uh, ballast material. Um, you know, there's all sorts of potential potential uh, for that material. But then, you know, the the thing is, you've actually extracted the, what's a value. You know, like metallic value out of it. So yes, you could in theory just put it right back in a. You know, it's innocuous. It doesn't generate acid. It's you know, it's very tame material. So you could just put it right back and, and be done with it. Mm-hmm. And do you, uh, I mean, you're getting these, you know, if you can reduce your operating costs like this. And, I mean, the edge in a test here, you, you've got 100% after the two different uh, Toma machines. You get 100% of the gold back. 100%. Nobody gets 100% using conventional methods these days. But then I have to think or ask you about, I know it's too early to know, but capital costs. Because one of the big things with mining projects around the world of course is the enormous amount of upfront capital you have to you have to have to build a mill do you yeah. see some advantage in that regard using this kind of technology as opposed to standard uh, recovery I, technologies I do look these sorter sorting machines are you know quite reasonable uh, you know give perspective on, on tonnage or throughput you know we're talking about anywhere from uh, maybe 30 or 40 tons on the low end up to, to 70 tons on the high end Per hour, um, one machine might cost around Australian one million dollars. 
you know, so it's not a tall ass to have multiple she- machines operating, uh, you know, in, in such a situation. Um, my hunch is, you know, you, you, you will have to have crushing and screening on the front end or uh-huh. some, screening the edge. And, but my hunch is that the overall cost uh, of operating this compared to most other, uh, you know, plant, plant, we'll call them, uh, is going to be much lower. You know, a while back we talked about the operating costs of the machines themselves. You can sort roughly a ton of material for, say, less than 30 cents U.S. Uh-huh. On, in one of these machines. Uh, incredible. Well, this is really exciting. I mean, if you stop to think about it and start to, you know, concentrate on what's really going on here, I think it's extremely exciting, but obviously it's a new kind of a technology, a new kind of approach to mining, and new things take time before people start to pay attention to it. Uh, we know that you have a massive amount of gold in your conglomerate beds and in your edge in a deposit. That that I think is pretty well known. The question is, how can you get it out? And I think it seems to me as though you're making tremendous progress towards that end, Quentin. And uh, what should what should investors be looking out for now? What are the next? I get in addition to the uh, results coming from Beaton's Creek. Can you give us an idea of timing and what people should be keeping alert for? Yeah. Look, our, our intent is to, uh, like I said, to get these things deployed out in the field at Edgina this year. Uh, we'd also like to deploy some, you know, test mining equipment, this, uh, you know, continuous mining uh, type equipment. Um, so this year at Edgina, for example, we're going to be focused on, um, you know, doing more exploration, of course. I talked about how we're, we're targeting finding five new project areas to yeah. work on the terrace. Uh, that work is actually ongoing right now. Um, we're doing a lot of, we'll, we'll be doing a lot of, you know, proper follow-up work on those, you know, trenching and, and bulk sampling like we did last year on those various areas. But then we'll also look at deploying, uh, these, these machines and, and sorting machines and stuff to see how they operate in the field. Okay. So our goal this year is to really give, uh, Edgen a, a, a test. We want to see if we can make this work, uh, you know, at a potentially at a commercial level. Um, Beaton's Creek, uh, as people know, we're, we're keeping an eye on some situations there. Hope to have an opportunity, uh, say within about a month, month and a half's time, once everything uh, is through uh, you know, the financial process there. Mm-hmm. But we're also looking for opportunity there. Um, you know, this sorting test work, though, that we're, we've done here will have an impact on our ultimate decision. So. You know, stay tuned. We're we're you know digesting this data, but we're also looking at the ways we can use it, the opportunities we can use uh, to uh, advance that project. Well, if um, if it turns out the way it seems to me it could, uh, I think investors are going to be well advised to keep an eye on things because it looks like it could be a very a very large profitable operation in the future. Of course. A lot of work to be done and before we can say that for sure. But it sure does look promising. Thank you so much, Quentin, for being with us again. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again in the in the near future to keep up with this story. Thank you, Jay. All righty. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this segment. Uh, don't go away, though. Dan Oliver will be with us uh, to talk about the ramifications of our financial markets from an increasing number of young left-wing fanatics in America that seem to have more in common with the philosophies of, of Karl Marx and Lennon than uh, Von Mises, Milton Friedman, or Adam Smith. Uh, so Dan will have some ideas and some thoughts about what you might do to think about the future 
uh, depending on a lot of different political outcomes uh, over the next several months. Um, Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dan Oliver. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what has been considered one of the best performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dan Oliver of Mermican Capital. Uh, thanks for joining me, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's really good to have you with me, and, uh, and I want to get your comments about these volatile markets. Very, uh, As Michael Oliver said, uh, it's not like watching paint dry anymore, with, even with the dollar, which had been boring and uh, so things are starting to happen. Uh, things are starting to shake loose in the markets, and I want to ask you about that. But we have titled today's show "Lenin Think," and that's after a recent as- essay that you wrote. And uh, and and before we go any further, Dan, is there a way that people can uh, can be on your list to get these uh, th- these essays that you write from time to time? It's not any any particular schedule, but I guess whenever you f- feel there's something you'd like people to, your clients to know about is there some way that people can people be put on a list to get to get this yeah. uh, yes Jay, they can go to my website which is mermican.com m-y-r-m-i-k-a-n and there's a sign up sheet right, right uh, button right there and sign up and I, I generally do them usually do them once a month now it's more once a quarter but you're right when when the yeah. spirit moves I, I do a letter yeah. when it's appropriate well, certainly when times get exciting, I, I would imagine the spirit may move more frequently, so uh, people, yes. may, people may want to, because your insights are very valuable, and that's why, of course, we have you on the show. But um, So I want to ask you about this, this whole, the whole, all these different efforts to try to, to get Trump out of office. Um, you know, it's, the Democrats have been hammering away one thing after another with their, uh, with the friends and the left-wing media, CNN and MSNBC, and, and they went ahead after Trump with the, with the Russian hoax, which Trump calls it, and I tend to think that's, that's what Mueller revealed, that it was pretty much a hoax. Um, but even, they went ahead with it even though some of the FBI agents, at least one of them, concluded that there was no there there. Uh, I, I generally don't like to talk about politics on, on this show because the purpose uh, of this show is to help people understand what is 
actually taking place in the markets as opposed to what Wall Street propagandists might want us to believe is happening. And yourself, Alistair McLeod, and many other free market thinkers that we have on this show understand that when politicians try to defy Mother Nature to win votes, it it um, it impacts markets, but in a in a way that isn't good generally. So there are reasons, though, at times to discuss politics, and and I think that your February thirteenth article was just really spot on in terms of summarizing the efforts to take Trump out of office, even though he was duly elected. I'd uh, start out uh, reading a quote from your from your uh, our article on February thirteenth. You said, and I and I quote. Those trying to make sense of impeachment proceedings need look no further than Gary Morrison's article titled Lenin Think. It was written in October 2019 edition of Newsom uh, Criterion. The Democrats' strategy followed Lenin, uh, Lenin's advice completely. Quote, first, let's stick the convict's badge on him, and then after that, we'll examine his, uh, his case. End of quote. So even though, even before Trump was... Uh, was a Republican candidate, you point out there were those who were trying to find ways to impeach him or to make sure he doesn't get in office. And you noted that initially they wanted to do that on the basis that he was a businessman. Uh, and as a president, he would use his, uh, he, he couldn't be, he, he couldn't be trusted because he's a businessman. He would probably try to do, do bad things to the, to the common folks or the people. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? That idea, yeah, yeah, but should I step back a little bit? The, the the article about about Trump here wasn't really meant to be about politics, about what which yeah. political parties. But I have views about that, of course. But but that wasn't the point. The the point was to examine the institutions that all sides are supposed to agree on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you go to your school and, and you have there's this cultural glue that holds us together. We yeah. believe in the Constitution, the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, and all all these agents, all all these things, all the government. And we may not like how it works, but at least we agree with the basic structure. Uh, unlike, uh-huh. and, and that's what's kept America strong for so long. Sure. We don't have huge civil wars over the nature of, of, of government. And and the point of the article is to show that the left really in their zeal to go after Trump undermined, actively and knowingly undermined these institutions, these core institutions, which, which reveals what we already know, which is they don't care about the institutions, but they care mm-hmm. about power and, and getting their way, which is – what the Bolsheviks cared about in, in Russia. Now, I, mean, I wouldn't say the Democrats are Bolsheviks, but the point is it's the same strategy where you just, you, you, you want to wipe out all the existing structures and take complete power for yourself. And, and that's what they were engaged in. Um, right. and, and, and that's why it didn't, it didn't matter the, the relevance, whether it was true or not that Trump did these things, or whether they were illegal or not. I mean, mm-hmm. you can be a bad guy, do bad things, and if it's not illegal... Uh, uh, you can disapprove of it, but you you can't do anything legally about it. But they they didn't care about any of that. Yeah. They, they went after him on 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 spurious grounds. And the first thing you mentioned, where it wasn't just he was a businessman, they said, "Well, uh, uh, because he would benefit being because the state is so large that the, the the government influences every every business there is. So if you're running the government and you have business by definition, you're in the, you're in a capacity to uh, help yourself, and therefore that is inherently corrupt. And so that was the first oracle they floated. It was a specific thing, which is he was going to his financial holdings uh, by definition uh, made him an interest party in government, so therefore he couldn't serve. And, and it's an extraordinary thing to say because what it really says is that only the political class is eligible for for office. Anybody else who has any uh, any other interest. Uh, it's constitutionally barred from the office, which again is, is inc- I think they probably think that, but it's an incredible thing 
to say. And the second one was, was very silly as well, which is the Foreign Emoluments Clause, which says the president mm-hmm. can't benefit from foreign leaders. And apparently a Chinese bank rents space in the Trump Tower as if that benefits him greatly. And he, that would corrupt him just that fact alone. And also diplomats stay in his hotel in Washington. I mean, these are absolutely absurd things. But it, again, it shows how, how nutty uh, uh, the left was in, in their zeal to go after him. These didn't go anywhere. And so they had to come up with something else. And that's where the, the, the Russian hoax yeah. story yeah, they keep they keep coming up with things. So, uh, so when Nancy Pelosi talks about our founding fathers and um, and praying uh, for everybody, and, and praying <laughs> for and praying for everybody, and how she yeah. how she worships the Constitution, yeah. and yet we're seeing the Democrats really wanting to get rid of uh, things like uh, uh, like two senators from every state, or or uh, you know the uh, the Electoral College. Things that were designed to keep us uh, keep uh, keep us from becoming a democracy, essentially, or a mobocracy, that would allow 51 percent uh, to do whatever they wanted to do to the 49 percent that doesn't agree with them. Well, that's right, Jane. Don't forget the the founding fathers were very aware of history, and they knew that the Greek experiment with democracy really hadn't worked. And and the answer is because the mob is fickle, and and the, and the 51 percent would think one thing one day and something else the next day. Uh, and this is all in the history books. And so that's why they specifically did not want a democracy. They wanted a republic. And and the whole point of of the Constitution is that uh, the populists in the House, which were elected every two years by, uh, by population, by district, uh, uh, that, that would represent populism, would never get along with the aristocracy in the Senate, which was six years. And originally, senators were not elected by popular vote. They were elected by state legislatures. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they would be very far removed right. from population ideas they would never agree and so they would do very little and then if they ever did agree uh to get a bill passed uh the president uh who, who again would, would draw from the whole country would have the opportunity to veto it mm-hmm. and so you know the whole the whole idea that i grew up with and still that, that there's gridlock in washington this is a bad thing no this is, no. This is a feature not, not a bug and that is even the president went along with this the supreme court could show up and say no that's unconstitutional so the whole point was to was to temper the the Temptation to use government to uh, to, to get, gain a stranglehold on power over everybody else, and it worked pretty well uh, for for a long time. But starting with the with the New Deal, especially all those safeguards have been slowly chipped away, and now we see uh, in the investigations of Trump, and also as the letter goes on to point out in the campaign promises of the current Democratic field, uh, a, a a self-conscious effort to undermine. These institutional safeguards that prevents the United that has prevented the United mm-hmm. States from doing the crazy things that other countries uh, do when they get in a in the midst of a populist uh, fervor. No, well, it's it's uh, yeah. So while while Miss Pelosi speaks about her reverence for the Constitution, it's, she seems not to to be bothered by the by the desires to unravel it. Um, so, uh, Dan, you know, people like myself who pay a lot of attention to what's going on, probably know a lot of this but most people don't aren't aren't really that familiar that's why i thought your piece on lenin think was so valuable because i think it really sort of summarized what was going on with the russian investigation talk to us a little bit about that and and why 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 trump is probably uh, right in calling it a hoax well well just just briefly there were two separate uh, distinct origins for this one was a low level uh, Trump uh, campaign uh, uh, employee who uh, was told by a, a shady Maltese professor that the Russians had Hillary's missing emails. You recall that Hillary uh, broke all sorts of laws 
uh, mm-hmm. by not allowing her emails uh, when she was Secretary of State to be on uh, State Department servers. Right. Uh, and apparently, the Russians had this, which again, which is a Hillary wrongdoing. <laughs> and then the Russians right. were going to release these things, which they should have been anyway, to help uh, uh, the the campaign. Um, uh, uh, the, the, this this campaign uh, employee uh, said that right after he was told that. His quote was, he started being treated by, by, like Marilyn Monroe by uh, U.S. intelligence sources, embassy uh-huh. officials in London took him to dinner and asked him about it. And then uh, there was a professor named Stephen Halper who mm-hmm. uh, paid him $3,000 to, to write a paper about foreign affairs and cornered him in a bar in London to ask him about the Russians and the emails, again, hoping to entrap him. He would say something. And he told, it's on record, he told Halper that, that Trump had nothing to do with Russia at all. And then an Israeli uh, intelligence asset uh, uh, arranged a meeting uh, uh, between him and the Australian ambassador to London, and uh, that's the the meeting where he said that he had been told this, uh, and the Australian ambassador immediately called the FBI and said that this fellow had told uh, had told him that Russians had the email and were going to uh, release it, and that's when the FBI launched their investigation. But uh, they, they did so knowing that there was all sorts of information that suggested this was not true. This was rumor that this wasn't coming from the campaign. It was it was it was coming from uh, a third a third party source, which again they, they knew because they had the conversations on record from from Halper. Um, so they they launched this investigation and they did it uh, to, in order to get the FISA court to allow them yeah. to go wiretap. Trump's senior campaign manager. Right. This was basically an inside job. They knew how the system worked. They, they didn't just go do it. It'd be too. It'd be too bold just simply to, to spy on the Trump campaign. You need. You need a pretext. So this was the the pretext that that, that they came up with. And the other the other one, which everyone knows about, of course, is the uh, is is the uh, Christopher Steele mm-hmm. uh, report where he uh, uh, paid or he says he paid Russian informants to come up with all sorts of allegations which turned out not to be true. And this thing was paid for by the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. And what's extraordinary is that the Inspector General's report uh, uh, demonstrates that the FBI agents knew that this had been paid for by the DNC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what they did was the author, Steele, uh, took some of these details, uh, uh, leaked them to a reporter Yahoo News who published him and the FBI went to the court and said, see, look, there's yeah. corroboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the support. It's in the news media. Of course, the, the report was the source, so it was not corroboration. They claimed it was. Yeah. And so they got, uh, so that was another uh, element they used to get the warrants to go tap uh, uh, Trump's campaign officials. And again, this isn't just a Republican talking point. The inspector general uh, uh, demonstrated that the FBI knew that, that these things were, were related in their applications and they did it anyway. And what's incredible is as, as you know, and this isn't in the, in, the, in the letter, but some of the Trump associates um, have been uh, sent to jail because yeah. in, in, in interviews the FBI, they misremembered a date or, or they said they didn't meet someone when they did. They're very sort of, you know, I mean, maybe technical, you shouldn't, te- technical process yeah. crimes, they call them. Yeah. And right. here the FBI has been demonstrated by the government itself to engage in much worse practices. And, of course, there's absolutely no repercussion whatsoever because they work for, for the government. Yeah. Um, well, well, Dan, if this continues, uh, you can't help but think this this could cause us to spiral down into a uh, into some sort of a uh, just an ungodly totalitarian type of power grabbing country. I mean, without well, I think that's right, Jay. And, and and it's important to remember, and people forget, as as 
as totalitarian as the Soviet Union was and East Germany was, they still had processes. They didn't just come to your house and take you away. And they, they did do that. But they would have a court order first. Now, the court was a, was a kangaroo court, a banana court. And you sort of wonder, well, why did they go through the effort? <laughs> why did they yeah. just come shoot you? Why do they need to have that, that theater? And th- th- mm-hmm. there's some deep-seated need for legitimacy. And that's effectively what the FBI and the, and the intelligence agencies did against yeah. Trump was they use these procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so to, to your point, uh, having established that they can pick a goal first and then figure out a process to get there, um, it, it's, it's, what's scary is that they were able to do this when they were in the opposition, when, when Trump was president. Imagine the power right. they're going to have if and when a left-wing president comes back in and there'll be absolutely no oversight. And they'll know that, no oversight right. against what they can do. And, we, and we've seen it. The first hints of that was when Obama was president and they uh, told all the right-wing uh, nonprofits that they were losing their tax status. Right. I mean, it's not exactly. jail or something. But, but just using the power of government to squelch opposition, to put pressure on people, to order people you don't like. I mean, all, all that is yeah. low-level harassment, but it makes a big difference. It makes people yeah. not want to give money to uh, to certain causes, and so it, it, it constrains free speech, and it's very damaging. And again, it's, I think it's different it differs by degree for what happened in, behind the Iron Curtain, but it's really not different by kind. The idea is you're using political power to shut up your enemies and keep them in line. So, Dan, with just four minutes left, and I want to ask you about your, a, a brief comment on the markets, but what do you think is behind this? Is it is it ideology? Is it just an attempt to, for a power grab by these by it's, the Democrats, it's, it's it's power, right? I mean, it's it's straight power, and 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 the 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 crux of the of the point is that the the two articles of impeachment, which were uh, obstructing Congress because the Trump administration did, didn't hand over documents, and Congress didn't bother to go to the courts uh, um, uh, to to demand them, which all Congress have done, and abuse of power are aren't they're, they're not crimes, and no. and. The Constitution says that impeachment has to be for a high crime and misdemeanor. So what's extraordinary to me is that the entire Democratic, except I think for two representatives, mm-hmm. uh, uh, politicians voted for something which is blatantly on its face not constitutional. And, and, and so just, again, it shows you that there's no support for these institutions and what the uh, candidates want to do is pass the Supreme Court, where they say Kavanaugh is legitimate mm-hmm. because they manufactured uh, accusations against him, uh, and and so and so it's it's FDR as you as your listeners might remember wanted to pat the court in the 30s, get his New Deal, his unconstitutional New Deal through, and his allies said no because again they supported the institutions more than political power. It was so important for them to maintain the structure of government the way it is, and the the, the new left just does not care about that. They they, no. they just want power. Uh, and they'll do what they what they can to get it, and it's very scary because if if and when they get it, and they all think demographics means they will get it eventually, and they may well yeah. be right, uh, it'll be a very different country than it is today. Yeah. It has- well, it, was, it certainly seems the Democrats have uh, these are uh, sort of the the kind of thuggery that they've taken it uh, that they've employed to try to get rid of Trump is taking it a step beyond anything that uh, FDR did. Well, it's just a minute left. Uh, quick quick comment on the markets. I mean, here we are. I'm seeing the, the Dow is down another 800 points right now at this moment. Gold is up over 50 bucks. Uh, tell us what your thoughts are about yeah, the market. So, so right quickly, the, the way QE usually works is the, is the Fed prints money and, and gives it to the banks, which form reserves, and they go lever up that, those reserves to go lend to businesses to build buildings and, and do things. And that creates jobs and it creates 
uh, uh, demand for commodities, all those things. Now, now, that's a bad thing because you get overcapacity and it collapses later, but at least you get that sugar high. And what's happening now is this virus has shut down key components of supply chains. So mm-hmm. if you have a product that has 30 components and one doesn't show up, you can't make your product. And right. no amount of money printing can solve that problem. So I, I think that the, in this case, what's going to happen is the money printing is not going to be pro-market negative goal, which it was, always has been. In the past, this is debasement. Uh, Trump announced the federal government is going to pay for all the coronavirus testing, which is great. Maybe they should do it, but with what money? And the answer is they'll mm. issue a treasury bond, the Fed will buy it. They use the money for current consumption, current expenditure. This is a very different thing. So I think we're, we're moving from a QE credit bubble scenario into a money printing debasement scenario, which will be very negative uh, financial assets and very positive gold. All right. We'll have to leave it go with that. Thank you so much, Dan, for being with us. Your uh, insight's always valued, uh, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the near term. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Well, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, Trey Wassner of Eli Gold Royalties will be with me, as well as Ben Mossman, the president of Rise Gold Corp., uh, will be my guests. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Lion One Metals, one of 2019's top performing gold stocks, is geared for aggressive growth in 2020. With drilling underway and its fully permitted high-grade Tuvatu gold project in Fiji, one of the last high-grade gold deposits of its kind anywhere in the world not owned by a major gold mining company, Lion One trades in the USA on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF and in Canada under LIO on the TSXV. To learn more about Lion One's world-class high-grade gold potential in Fiji, go to liononemetals.com.